this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast. Today is a special 4th of July edition. Typically, we talk about travel outside of the United States because the bulk of the listeners are from the United States, and we're talking about travel to other destinations with the purpose of connecting travelers to travel professionals that can get them to their desired destination uh, safely with a well-planned vacation so they can best take advantage of their limited vacation days. Uh, But today in particular and for tomorrow, which is the 4th of July, I just want to say happy birthday to my country. It's a little sad being out of the country for one of our most special holidays. But um, I just, I wanted to feature something that would be appropriate to the holiday. And to that purpose, um, I wanted to feature Walt Disney. I have had an episode, two episodes on Walt Disney in the past. One featured Lisa Hill. She is kind of, you know, our fairy godmother of Disney planning on this show. Uh, I used to do a lot of Disney planning, but there's a lot of training that needs to happen in order for you to stay current on it. The parks constantly change, promotions constantly change, and just with my life and family and the move here to England, it was a little difficult to keep up on that. So I always recommend everyone hit up Lisa Hill, um, and if she's not available, um, I can make another recommendation to you, but um, she's wonderful, and if you know planning Disney is stressful to you, you need to use a Disney planner, someone with a Disney certificate, a genius certificate specifically. Um, and, and that can come with some recommendations. It won't cost you any more money. Uh, you'll just get a great bang for your buck and a tailored trip that suits your family's vacation style. Now to get us to Disney, I wanted to bring in a historian. So previously you may have heard an episode with Dr. Jeff Barnes. Dr. Jeff Barnes is an actual uh, doctor of history. He teaches the only accredited college course on the history of Walt Disney World. And the reason Walt Disney is so appropriate to the 4th of July is because he was, I don't want to say fanatically patriotic, but at one point in Jeff's book, he quotes Walt Disney and he says, if you could see in my eyes, you would see the American flag waving both of them. And if you could see up my spine, you would see a glowing stripe of red, white, and blue. And that was just really poignant to me reading that because I do miss my country and I do miss 4th of July celebrations. I miss my family. Um, My family is very entrepreneurial, which is really, you know, part of the American dream. It's part of the American opportunity and story that you can come from nothing and you can become something fantastic. So dad, thank you so much for all your hard work. Um, I think about you on this holiday. And if you're sitting there drinking a Yingling or a Sam Adams or any craft brews, or you brushed your teeth with toothpaste, or you flushed your toilet and everything went down properly, and uh, you know there's a pump behind that, and from mixing to moving fluid to sanitary lines, uh, Springer Pumps is probably behind that to some extent if you're on the East Coast. So thank you, Dad, for that. If you're listening to this podcast and you aren't familiar with the 4th of July and why we celebrate this holiday, I will enlighten you. The 4th of July is also known as Independence Day for the United States, and this is not actually the end of the Revolutionary War that has happened already, but now our Congress is hashing things out, and they finally come up with the Declaration of Independence, which is a document that is then signed and adopted on the 4th of July, which is a document that finally declares 
that we are no longer part of the British Empire. We are now our own self-governing country. So that's what we celebrate on the 4th of July. Now that 50% of you or more are a little bothered by something that I've said, I'm sure, or maybe you're energized by it, I want to tell you that you can vote for Travel Radio Podcast for the, for an annual podcast award, and I will put that link up in the show notes. And that is going to be the last of the announcements before we get into an awesome episode featuring Dr. Disneyland himself, Jeff Barnes, and how visiting Disney World is participating in the American dream. Hello and welcome to Travel Radio Podcast. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am once again privileged to have Dr. Disneyland, Dr. Jeff Barnes, on the program again with me. So welcome, Jeff. Hello, Megan. How are you today? I am wonderful. It's a little warm here in England. Didn't know it got, got this warm, but we're surviving. We're good. Well, uh... First of all, thank you for having me on again, and we're actually in Denver today, where I think it's going to be somewhere between 93 and 96, which for us is going to be cool. We woke up in Laughlin, Nevada yesterday, where it was like 111, oh. so um, I, I can sympathize with the with the too warm, but not necessarily empathize, because it's sort of warm in the U.S. right now, too. Yeah, and in Denver, there's no atmosphere. You're so high, you have to wear sunscreen. You'll cook immediately, so... Yeah, yeah, you're, you're too close to the surface of the sun. It's so true. But then, you know, when you're in Nevada, you're like, oh, are we closer to hell because we're so low? I don't know. Maybe that's why it's so hot. <laughs> so <laughs> I've lived both of those places, so I can say with authority. Jeff, I'm pleased to have you back on because we are coming up on our nation's birthday on July 4th. And because of that, I wanted to reach out to you and have you on the program because you specialize in helping people see history through the lens of Walt Disney. And Walt Disney was a uh, very passionate patriot. And so I want to talk about history through the lens of Walt Disney. I want to talk about what's happening new in Disney parks and also about your new blog that is coming up. So let's get started with, um, I know you're on a marathon road trip. What are you doing on your road trip? And who are you going to be seeing? <laughs> well, first of all, happy July 4th uh, week and uh, Independence Day week from the United States. And, yeah, mm. Nikki and I are on Thank you. a bit of a cross-country epic road trip. We uh, we left Riverside, California, um, about 30 miles from Disneyland on Saturday and spent the first night in Laughlin, Nevada, so that we could see one of our favorite bands out of Gainesville, Florida, uh, Sister Hazel and uh, got to experience a great show on Saturday night. And then we're in Denver. We, we drove from Laughlin to Denver yesterday, which is just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Any of your listeners have not traveled um, from Vegas uh, to Denver and taken 15 through Nevada and Utah and mm-hmm. 70 through Colorado, highly, highly recommended. Um, I, I told Nikki yesterday, I, I need to do this drive at least once a year because um, it, it literally cleanses my soul and causes my spirit to soar. It's just one of those epic, epic drives. It's so, a little um, terrifying, though, too. You go around those turns, right, through the through well, um, getting close to Arches National Park. Is that correct? 
you do. Um, so, so Denver, um, coming out of Denver, you go through some, you know, really perilous, uh, roadways. Um, in fact, some of the sections of I-70 coming out of Denver were the last of the original, um, Eisenhower interstate system to ever get built because it's just such a difficult stretch of highway. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in Utah, um, you know, it's just, so wide open and vast, and yet, you know, you're going by, you know, like you said, some of those arches, and just very, very different, um, but just drop-dead gorgeous at the same time. And, you know, other than your vehicle and your gas, it's all free, and, you know, Nikki and I just, we, we, we absolutely love it. So we're in Denver for the next three nights. We're staying with friends that we met on a Disney cruise last summer and you know going to a Rockies game uh tonight so you know celebrating a little Americana there because you know baseball you know apple pie and you know all of that stuff and then um going to uh the uh national park tomorrow Hmm. and then we're the road trip continues we're headed to Kansas City on uh the 4th of July we're going to be stopping by uh Lapagram Studio which was Walt Disney's first studio where he went bankrupt at age 21 in 1923. That's and great. then we're going to celebrate fourth and see our, uh, fourth of July fireworks at, uh, the Royal Indians game that night. Um, July 5th, we're headed to Chicago. Uh, but on our way, we're going to stop in Marceline, Missouri. Uh, Marceline is home to the Disney hometown museum. Oh. Uh, Marceline is where Walt grew up from age four to nine and uh, his fondest memories. Uh, from his childhood are from Marceline. And so we've been invited to stop there. We're going to get a tour of the hometown museum, museum by the director and oh, uh, dropping off copies. Of, yeah. Dropping off copies of the wisdom of Walt and beyond the wisdom of Walt for them to begin selling in their museum. And uh, from there it's on to Chicago and we're going to be going to a Cubs game uh, on Friday, go Cubs go and seeing <laughs> friends from Disney cruise last summer and then headed down to their home. They live in Indianapolis. We're going to spend the rest of the weekend in Indianapolis. And then on Monday, uh, the the first half of the cross-country road trip comes to an end. Uh, I'll fly home to California. Nikki will keep driving on to Virginia. And then in the middle of July, we meet back up in Atlanta, and then we're headed to Orlando for a week-long conference at Walt Disney World. So that's our July. Holy cow. That's full of traditional Americana and Walt Disney, so right up your alley which we should formally introduce you as author of best-selling books, The Wisdom of Walt and Beyond the Wisdom of Walt. Would you like to talk about them briefly? Yeah. So um, I teach the world's only accredited college course on the history of Disneyland. Uh, that started back in 2014. And, you know, the class became, you know, so popular. Unfortunately, not everyone can take it. And so, uh, we decided to take the best of that material, put it into what became a best-selling book in 2015, uh, The Wisdom of Walt, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth. And because of the success of that book and uh, folks on the East Coast who were way more familiar with Walt Disney World than they are Disneyland, they were like, hey, what about us? What about our park? You know, mm-hmm. aren't there stories and life lessons that can come, you know, from our neck of the woods? And so we did a follow-up book that released last October, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, Life Lessons for the Most Magical Place on Earth. And so, you know, if you're interested in leadership and success, 
from Walt Disney and Disneyland. You know, you can pick that up in the Wisdom of Walt. And if you're interested in, again, leadership and success, life lessons uh, from Walt Disney World, same format, completely different lessons, completely different stories uh, found in, you know, beyond the Wisdom of Walt. And it's sort of interesting because uh, since the release of the second book, even though we live in Southern California and are only uh, 30 miles from Disneyland, we actually find ourselves in Orlando more these days than we do Anaheim. And, you know, that's a byproduct of not really the, the books per se as much as it is. Um, you know, we travel the, the country and the world doing, um, you know, motivational and inspirational presentations. And so, you know, companies, groups, conferences coming uh, to Anaheim and Orlando, and I think more Orlando than even Anaheim, you know, we, we keep going back there to, to do presentations on the Wisdom of Wall. Yeah, and where can people find these books? Uh, you can find them at my website, thewisdomofwalt.com, and you, of course, can find them on Amazon as well. And if you find them on Amazon, you can get a hardcover copy, softcover copy, um, audio. Kindle, e-books, audiobook. Uh, yeah, all, all versions are currently available. Yeah, and I just want to say that if you are someone who is like, I, the thought of going to Disney World gives me hives, uh, which an, <laughs> that is my mother for sure. And I, I have to say, prior to reading these books, I, really, that was... I've planned a lot of Disney trips for people who are fanatical about Disney, and I can plan them and appreciate their love for them. But now I recommend everyone to uh, another guest of mine, Lisa Hill, because she's just all Disney all the time. All that to say, I think these books should have like a subtitle called like How to Love Disney Through American History or something like that, because I love American history, and these books really helped me value what Walt Disney did. And that's going to kind of help us roll into... Our next segment, I saw you have a new blog coming out, and this is something that people who have read your books can get a little bit more before your third book comes out. What is the premise? What's happening with this blog? <laughs> so um, the, the, the blog is a byproduct of um, uh, really a, a couple of reasons. First of all, um, I like writing. I, mm-hmm. I'm sort of enamored with creative process. And I want to have a reason to keep writing and to keep that creative muscle active, if you will, mm-hmm. without necessarily having to undertake, um, you know, the enormous endeavor of what writing a third book would be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, th- so that's one of the reasons. Uh, another reason is, you know, I'm constantly coming across stories and ideas um, again, life and, and, and leadership lessons that tie back to Walt Disney, that tie back to Disneyland, that tie back to Walt Disney World. And I, I want to have a vehicle to tell those stories or to make those points without them necessarily having to fit in a bigger thread or bigger narrative hmm. that an entire book would have to carry. Hmm. Um, plus, um, you, you know, people... People sort of um, have sort of tension spans these days, and they want to consume um, content in in smaller bites, if you will. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not necessarily wanting or needing to hire me to speak, or you maybe you don't even want to sit down and read a sixty-seven thousand word book, but hey, you know, you, you've got enough time and enough attention span that you can digest less than a thousand words. Then the blog is going to do just that. You're going to get a sense of 
of who I am. You're going to get a sense of what we're trying to do. Uh, you're going to get a little bit of that motivation, that magic, that inspiration in a, in a relatively short amount of time. And so we're repurposing content from the book, from the speeches, um, but also mixing in completely brand new content. And that's what the blog, and we, we've titled the blog, Never Stop Dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's really what the blog is, is, is going to be all about. Okay, so you're fueling this blog, I'm sure, by some visits to the parks. I've seen your Twitter and Facebook feed and Instagram. You're always there. You're always at one of the parks. So how many times have you been this year? Ooh, um, at least a dozen. Mm. Uh, Yeah, and we've still got half a year to go. And we've still got half a year to go. And, you know, part of the, Part of the challenge is um, we've actually been to Walt Disney World more this year than we have been to Disneyland. And throw in, we, you know, this year we have passes to Universal Studios Hollywood, mm. and we've been there a few times as well also. So, um, yeah, we like our theme parks, and we, we spend an exorbitant amount of time going there. But in addition, like, you know, the other day I was doing a presentation for um, – property managers at the Disneyland hotel. And so my presentation was at 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we wake up in the Disneyland hotel where we spent the first hour of our day riding Peter Pan, riding Space Mountain, riding Pirates of the Caribbean. And then we went to work by giving the presentation, which by the way, Megan, that is a great way to start a work day. Yeah, I was going to say, your and job you really sucks, Jeff. <laughs> I know, it's awful. You wake up at the Disneyland hotel, you walk into you know the happiest place on earth, you spend the first hour riding your free, your free, your three favorite attractions, and then you get to go and inspire and motivate property managers based on your love of Disney. Yeah, we we absolutely love it. Awesome. And uh, Mom Chapa, I'm really sorry that you had to hear me say the S word. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. So speaking of you being in Disney parks, how many times a day do you eat ice cream? How many ice cream cones have you had at Disney this year? How many pictures have you taken of your ice cream cones? And who has the best ice cream in the Disney parks? Oh, wow. And Um, you must start this comment by, in my defense. Well, in my defense, we have not kept a tally or an accounting of all of the ice cream that I have consumed um, today, this week, this year. Um, You know, I... um, I'm a historian and a writer. I'm not a mathematician. So, uh, you know, if you ask me to keep account, I, I can assure you it's not going to be very accurate. Um, a funny story. My my daughter um, started texting me a couple of weeks ago. She's a, an investigative reporter up in Portland, Oregon. And she won an and award this dad, year. She did. She um, She's won a couple. She won the National Freedom of Information Act Award oh. in April, and then in May – she was honored as um, the nation's best education reporter, and that award was actually given to her by Mark Hamill, i.e. Luke Skywalker. So that was a really, really, really cool moment. So, it is um, cool. Yeah, we're very proud of everything that she has been able to accomplish at the, at the ripe old age of 28. But she says to me, she says, Dad, you can't, you can't keep eating all of that ice cream, and I'm really afraid that you're just doing it so that you can post on social media and get as many likes as possible. And I said to her, Bethany, I understand your concern. 
but don't worry. Um, I don't do it just for the like. And the reason why I know that is I don't actually post a picture every single time I eat ice cream. <laughs> and so for a moment that made her feel better. And then when she sort of did the math in her head, it made her feel a lot, lot worse. I, um, I like ice cream. I, I, I like ice cream a lot. And so, um, it's become such a thing. So what happened was, you know, people started noticing that I eat a lot of ice cream and I tend to post pictures about it. So, you know, I would get sort of the pokes similar to the way that, that Bethany would, um, you know, poke and say, Hey, what's going on here? Are you, know, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. And so I found that if I was going to post another pic, uh, another ice cream picture, I needed to sort of defend myself. So um, the ice cream pictures then started leading with the caption in my defense and some sort of ridiculous reason for why it was okay for me to be eating ice cream again. Well, before I knew it, the in my defense piece of the ice cream consumption sort of became its own thing as well. So on Friday, I was giving a tour of Disneyland to a group of paralegals. And when we showed up uh, to meet for the first time at Turnstile 13, they were all wearing ice cream shirts that said, in my defense. And they had shirts <laughs> to give to both me and Nikki, which I thought was just absolutely amazing. They did their homework. They really did. That's awesome. I saw that picture and I laughed really hard because I always hear pictures that say, in my defense. And, you know, I probably knew that for chocolate and wine. But, hey, there you go. <laughs> You know, my favorites at a, my favorites at a Disney park, um, a couple of thoughts come to mind. First of all, um, we love Ghirardelli. And yep. if you're in Anaheim and you can go to uh, the Ghirardelli ice cream shop in Disney California Adventure, highly, highly recommended. Um, any sort of soft serve, I, I, I actually prefer soft serve over uh, scooped ice cream. And tragically enough, I have not yet gotten to the new Pixar here in Disney mm. California, they tried the new soft serve that they have at the uh, Abominable uh, Snowman Shop. So I'm really looking forward to getting there uh, this summer. And then my favorite ice cream in the world, and I blame Bethany for this because she introduced it to me when we went to visit her in Portland about 18 months mm -hmm. ago. My favorite ice cream in the world is um, by a company called Salt and Straw, and they do very unique and exotic sort of flavors. Hmm. And Salt and Straw is coming to downtown Disney in Anaheim. And I don't know when they're opening, but when they do, it will be game over for Dr. Disneyland. You know, I should tell my daughter, the investigative reporter, you know, you spend all day getting scoops. So why can't I? That's right. That's funny. Oh. Yeah. Okay, Jeff, so we're, uh, I want to roll into the section where we talk about, uh, Disney, his patriotism, and, and how you see that happening in the park. So would you give us an idea about what it's like to be in a Disney park for the 4th of July? Sure. So, um, first of all, I don't think, um, other than baseball, which I'm a huge fan of as well, I don't know that there's anything as American as a Disney park. And I have always advocated, this is part of what I teach in my history of Disneyland course. Um, I, I've always believed um, that the Disney parks, starting with Disneyland, have been a reflection and a, and a mirror of who America and Americans think they are. Mm -hmm. And that has stayed true from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and beyond. And so in my opinion, 
you know, it's very American to go to a parade, to see fireworks, to go to a baseball game, and quite frankly, to go to a Disney park on uh, the 4th of July. Uh, Walt built Disneyland as an homage to America's past, but also uh, to what he uh, believed could be America and the world's future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Growing up in Marceline, Missouri, um, he really was sort of that Midwestern um, farm boy, even though, you know, he, you know, he made a name for himself in, in, in Los Angeles, Hollywood and, and, and Southern California. He never lost those, you know, small town Midwestern roots, which I sort of think is the core of, of who we are as Americans, at least, you know, that's a major, major part of our story. And so if you, if you look at where we were in 1955, the year that Disneyland opened, and it opened in July, by the way, not quite on the 4th of July, but a couple of weeks afterwards. If you look at where we were in 1955, it was an era in our history where we were moving out of the city and into the suburbs. And literally what had been sort of an iconic symbol of uh, the United States, i.e. Main Street USA, it was literally starting to disappear across the country as the interstate system starts to get built. And again, people start to move out into the suburbs. And so at the very moment in which Main Street USA is disappearing right before our very eyes, Walt gives us the best realized version of Main Street USA to the point that in the 1980s, when there starts to be a Main Street USA revitalization across the country, urban planners give Walt Disney credit for creating Main Street USA and giving us the inspiration, the motivation, and the impetus for that revitalization effort. So, again, I don't think there's anything more American than going to a Disney park, um, partly because you start your day on, again, Main Street USA, and then once you get to the Central Plaza, and I'm assuming you're at a Magic Kingdom, of course, mm-hmm. but once you get to that Central Plaza, you know, one of your immediate choices is to go into Frontierland. And um, having a frontier, having a neck, believing uh, that there's something beyond the horizon is is truly what it means to be uh, an American. And so when Disneyland opened in 1955, because of the popularity of, you know, the cowboy and Indian shows on American television in the 1950s, it's Frontierland that took up the largest available acreage. It was um, as much as one-third the entire size of, of Disneyland. So, again, you get sort of this taste of what it means to be an American and you get a taste of at least what Americans think of themselves and thought of themselves, again, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. So in your bestseller, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, you have a chapter chapter called Leading Yourself, and you talk a lot about Walt Disney's patriotism. Can you just talk about, you know, Walt as, as a patriot? Walt Disney was born in Chicago, Illinois, 1901, And he grew up um, literally bleeding red, white, and blue. He absolutely loved this country. Um, In fact, um, so much so that he was willing to have his birth certificate forged so that he could go to France and serve in World War I. Now, because of his age, he only got to serve as an ambulance driver, and he didn't really get there until after the war was concluded. But he desperately wanted to serve, and he desperately wanted uh, to make a difference. Um, mm. 
He believed in the entrepreneurial spirit of America. He believed in the freedom and independence of America. Uh, he believed in, in the possibilities of America. And Walt, in terms of what it means to be that self-made American, I, I think represents that almost as well as anyone else in our American history. And so, you know, he goes um, from, you know, a struggling young man in Chicago, Marceline, Kansas City, you know, takes the trip um, on the railroad after going bankrupt in Kansas City. You know, the, the, the famous story of, you know, $40, a single suitcase, one-way ticket, um, chases his dreams out to Hollywood, um, forms the Disney Brothers studio with his brother Roy, and today that studio is the most valuable entertainment company anywhere in the world. Um, that's Walt's story. And, and I think it's very, very much the American story. And, you know, to be in a Disney park gives you an opportunity to not just touch Walt, but to also touch his vision of what it meant to be an American. His favorite, um, his favorite president was Abraham Lincoln. You know, he grew up reciting the Gettysburg Address. He would show up in school dressed as Abraham Lincoln during different days in the school year. And so it's very, very fitting. You know, when you think of going to a Disney park, you don't necessarily think of roller coasters first, but you think of shows and attractions populated by audio animatronics. Well, the world's first fully human audio animatronics was Walt Disney's Abraham Lincoln, first mm -hmm. revealed at the World's Fair in 64-65 and then brought home to Disneyland as part of its 10-year celebration in the summer of 1965. And again, that was something that Walt wanted to do. It tied back to his childhood. It tied back to his love for Abraham Lincoln. It tied back to his love for America. And the other thing that's really cool, a lot of people don't remember this, but when Disneyland first opened, you know, it cost a dollar to get in, and you paid anywhere from 10 to 35 cents for the individual attractions. And over the years, of course, you know, they developed the ticket books with the A, the B, the C, the D, and the E coupons. Well, when he opens Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, very expensive show to create, world's first fully human audio animatronic. When he opens that show, it's sponsored by Lincoln Savings and Loan, and he insists that everyone under the age of 17 get admitted in free because he wanted the young people of America to have a taste and appreciation for American history and the significance of Abraham Lincoln. And he would sneak in those shows himself and often be seen in the back crying because the yeah. words moved him every time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so when you, when you're, you know, at Disneyland or you're at Walt Disney World and you're walking down Main Street, think about how it represents every Main Street in the United States of America. When you turn left into Frontierland, think of how it represents our past in the 1800s and how Walt wanted to create that sense of an endless frontier and an endless opportunity. When you go into Tomorrowland, think of the vision that he had for the United States moving in to an amazing and incredible future filled with technology, filled with opportunities. But take it a step further. Um, Liberty Square, which exists at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, was actually envisioned by Walt Disney himself as an extension off of Main Street in Disneyland. He wanted to call it Liberty Street and, again, celebrate 
the spirit of America and to celebrate American history. And it becomes fully realized by way of Liberty Square opening day, Magic Kingdom, in October of 1971. And if you go back and look at the original plans for Liberty Square, he was going to do some sort of attraction with all of the American presidents. The technology simply doesn't exist yet. And so you start to see that technology develop with great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and then, of course, fully realized with the Hall of Presidents in 1971. Even if you head over to Epcot, Epcot has... Uh, the American Showcase, and what I believe is probably the greatest Disney audio animatronic show anywhere in the world, and that is the American Experience with Ben Franklin and Mark Twain. So again, very, very, very American, touches Walt Disney, touches patriotism, touches American history. So at the other parks around the world, I'm assuming that main, like they have a Main Street, but it's not a Main Street USA, so like in Paris... Well, that's probably not going to be Main Street USA, correct? Actually, the one in Paris is Main Street USA. Ah. So can you make the argument that participating in a Disney park, wherever you are in the world, is to some extent participating in our American dream, or it just becomes an amusement park? Oh, um, well, I would never argue that going to Disney is, just going to an amusement park. It is always a deeper, <laughs> well, it's always a, a, a deeper and more meaningful experience. And so I, I think the beauty of the Disney Park experience is it allows you to reflect on your history. It allows you to reflect on your story. But then it also touches on the magic of possibilities and where are you going into the future and where could your imagination possibly talk? Uh, take you. And, and that's sort of the beauty of the design of Magic Kingdom. You walk down Main Street and you remember yesterday, but as soon as you get to the Central Plaza, you can turn right into Tomorrowland, which takes you into tomorrow. And so it's literally like Walt Disney had one foot in yesterday, one foot in tomorrow, all while he is celebrating, you know, the, the present and, and the possibilities that lay in front of us. It's pretty exciting. Um, so then, while you're in the park for the 4th of July, are there special activities that happen? There there are. So typically the parks are decorated with very festive red, white, and blue traditional bunting. Um, and the fireworks um, that night, and, you know, Disney is, is well known uh, for their pyrotechnics. They, they've been doing nightly fireworks shows um, since the 1950s but they always take it up a notch for the 4th of July. And so that's a very, very, very special, um, you know, addition or version of, of, of Disney fireworks. Of course, the parks are mobbed. I don't know, um, you know, other than around Christmas and New Year's, that the parks are ever busier than they are on the 4th of July. But, again, that's sort of part of the experience. I mean, here this guy is thinking of a place where parents and children can have fun together, and when he shares that crazy idea with his wife, when he shares it with his brother, they all think he's crazy. It's going to be bankrupt, shuttered, and, you know, closed in less than six months. And now here we are, you know, 62, 63 years later, and you'll be lucky if you can get in on the 4th of July. It's not at all uncommon for them to have to close gates around 11 a.m. or noon because there's that many people wanting to come in mm. and have that amazing American experience. 
And you tell people, get there early. What time do you get there? Absolutely. Um, we are always there no later than 30 minutes before rope drop. So if the park opens at 8, we're there at 7.30. Yep. And you ride twice as many rides as the average person because you've got a system. Absolutely. What's now, your... we don't ever... Uh... Yeah, I... Um... So it's funny because I don't like crowds, and I have zero patience, so I don't wait in line. And when folks hear that, they're like, so why are you at Disneyland every other day? <laughs> and my my point to that is, well, you know, we sort of developed the system so that we don't wait in line, and we're not always, you know, mobbed by the crowds. And the key to there is, is, is to start early. And to know exactly where you're going to go, the order in which you're going you're going to go to them. Make sure you take advantage of the fast pass system. And you know, the, the other key is, you know, if if you have a sense that all of the crowds are going to go right, then you need to make sure you're going to go left. So, for example, you know, we always try to make sure we're not going to eat lunch between eleven and one. Because guess what? Everybody else is going to eat lunch between eleven and one. Mm-hmm. And you know, things like, like at Disney World, uh, you know, if you're a resort guest, you have the opportunity to take advantage of what they call extra magic hours or magic morning. Well, the challenge with that is, um, you know, if magic morning is going to take place at Hollywood Studios, and so you get to get in at 7 a.m. while everyone else can't come in until 8, that sounds great, Megan, until you realize there are more than 30 Disney hotels at Walt Disney World. And on any given day, more than 30,000 hotel guests. And a lot of folks, when they see, ooh, Hollywood Studios tomorrow morning has extra magic hour or magic morning, that must be where we're supposed to go. Mm. Good luck in playing that first hour with 30,000 other guests. Yeah. And so, you know, we will, uh, we, we will very often just sort of try and figure out what is everybody else going to do? And then we just make sure we go and do the opposite. Yeah, now to people listening, we we do on this program specifically co- connect travelers to travel professionals. And so there's an episode, I think it's number five, six, seven, somewhere like that, early episode with Lisa Hill. She is my go-to gal. So if you are looking for someone to plan your Disney trip to the T, I mean, she'll give you an Excel spreadsheet if you want it. So, like, it will be your best trip ever, and it costs you no additional dollars. Her services are all included in your Disney park tickets. So anyway, that's a little tip. If you, uh, if, if what Jeff describes to you gives you hives, call a professional, call Lisa Hill. She's my girl. Now, Absolutely. And you ahead. have to think about time is money and you know, those park tickets are not cheap Mm-mm. and anything you can do to maximize your time in a Disney park is money very well spent. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is Lisa knows when all the free dining events, I mean, a Disney planner will know. Find yourself someone with a Disney Genius Certificate. They're going to know when all the promotions are coming up. So, like, when free dining happens, Lisa's going to sit on the line until she gets an operator. And when she gets an operator, she's going to plan 20 trips right there until she gets them all done and not let that operator go until then. So, if you don't want to hold on online for hours and hours, which I have done for my clients, like, call a planner. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about what's new right now in Disney and what's coming up for 2018 and the future. Well, um, Disney just had two very exciting events the last couple of weekends. So um, more than a week ago at Disney's California Adventure, the second gate at Disneyland, they opened Pixar Pier on June 23rd. 
And Pixar Pier is a celebration of what used to be Paradise Pier, uh, converting it more into stories connected uh, to the Pixar characters. And so mm. uh, the Incredicoaster, which is a retheming of the old California Screaming, uh, the Incredicoaster is sort of the big new feature in uh, Pixar Pier. I have not yet had a chance to experience it, um, but early reviews are it is, well, as advertised, incredible. And awesome. so we're really looking forward to getting to um, to Pixar Pier and experiencing not necessarily a new attraction, but at least a rethemed attraction and a, and a rethemed area. And then I think the really, really big news is just this past Saturday on June 30th, Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World in Florida opened Toy Story Land. And yes. that's an entire area dedicated to the Pixar characters from uh, the very popular Toy Story movies. Uh, there are two brand-new attractions in that area, um, the Alien Flying Saucers and the Slinky Dog Coaster. Mm-hmm. And from what I have seen and what I have read about the Slinky Dog Coaster, it is an absolute not-to-be-missed e-ticket-style attraction. Uh, it's a family coaster, but it is not a kiddie coaster. Huh. Uh, early reviews are that it, it, it provides a level of thrill equivalent to Big Thunder Mountain in Magic Kingdom. And so, you know, people, because it was more um, of a family coaster, they weren't expecting Slinky Dog to be as good as it actually is. And uh, I think the wait on Saturday when the land uh, first opened, uh, the wait on Saturday went more than 300 minutes just for Slinky Dog. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But people will wait um, in that line. Disney has their customers, like captive they will do it yep they, they absolutely will do it and it, it's sort of interesting because um you know there's only two new attractions in the land but people are just overwhelmed by how immersive the land is and how great the theming and how impressive the details are and i think all of this megan is really just a precursor for what will be probably the biggest thing to ever happen to disney parks since they originally opened in 1955 in Anaheim and 1971 in Orlando, and that is the opening of Star Wars Galaxy Edge. And Star Wars Galaxy Edge is scheduled for early summer at Disneyland in 2019 and then sometime in the fall for Florida again in 2019. And so whatever weights we saw in um, Orlando this past Saturday, related to Toy Story Land. So, for example, yeah, there's a 300-minute wait for Slinky Dog. There was a wait even just to get into the land. I think that is going to pale mm-hmm. in comparison to the crush that is going to happen when Galaxy Edge opens in 2019. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And even prior to these attractions opening, I always tell my clients, plan, 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 and and, and book Early, the earlier you can book, the better. And you can book the hotel at least a year out. You're not going to be able to book your flights that early, but you can book your hotels probably about a year out. And, um, and then there's a, there's depending on your, you know, level of participation in Disney products will depend on when you can start booking your, you know, your fast passes and meals and, and, and Disney dining should not be overlooked. There are some world-class chefs that cook at Disney. You should visit the restaurants. But all of that to say, plan early because if you want, you yep. know, you could get a fast pass to one of these new attractions, but you got to plan. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, no, you you want your hotel a year out. You want your dining 180 days out. And if you're staying on property at Walt Disney World, uh, you want your fast passes 60 days out. Plan, 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 plan. And if that is a little too overwhelming, then find a Disney travel agent to help plan for you. That's what they're there for. They're the professionals. They know exactly what they're doing because they do it all day, every day. All day, every day. Hey, and if Lisa's busy, you write me, I'll send you somebody. I got lots of them. She's just, uh, she's nope. like the godmother of Disney for, for agents. Everybody, if they have a question, we're like, Lisa, give us your secrets. <laughs> she's always very gracious to us. So anyway, well, Jeff, I know that you are really busy with a public speaking schedule. Um, and, and you're, you're well worth every penny. It's a very engaging, um, presentation that you give. How can people find you? How can people see a preview of what you do? Tell us all your information. Um, you can find pretty much everything that we do and everything that we are on my website, thewisdomofwalt.com. Uh, you can email me from there um, if you're interested in um, a speaking engagement or if you just have a general question about me, the class, the books, the blog, whatever the case may be. A book can be ordered from thewisdomofwalt.com. The blog is going to be located on uh, the website as well. We have a new content scheduled to come out every two weeks. And you can also find uh, video links and, you know, client testimonials. Uh, pretty much everything you need to know about the Wisdom of Walt can be found at thewisdomofwalt.com. And you're available, you know, schedule permitting, that you will give custom and personalized tours of both parks. Is that correct? We do. Um, yes. Um, we, uh, we, if you're interested in a tour, specifically of Disneyland, um, if you're interested in a tour, uh, we can meet you again half an hour before rope drop and um, give you a history of not just, um, you know, Disney and, and, and Walt, but I, I think the best part of our tour is we'll get you on approximately 20 of the best attractions by 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon with zero waiting. And by showing you how you can do that, you can then repeat it yourself and so you can, you know, look forward to going back to Disneyland, bringing friends, being, bringing family, and impressing them, A, with your knowledge, but B, your ability to, again, go to the parks and experience the major attractions without having to wait in line. Now, you mentioned rope drops. So now you're going to have to explain that before you get off the program. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's all this lingo that... Uh, comes with sort of being a Disney insider. So what happens is if, if the park advertises that they're going to open at 8 a.m., then typically what happens, they'll open the turnstiles on Main Street somewhere around 7.30, 7.40 a.m., and everyone can begin making their way down Main Street, USA. And if you want to shop, some of the stores are open. If you want to grab coffee at Starbucks, you can certainly do that. And then everybody gathers in the Central Plaza and cast members are there literally holding a rope. And at 7.59, the public address announcer comes on and says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Disneyland. And he has, you know, sort of a spiel that we have, you know, almost memorized at this point. And then exactly at 8 a.m., the cast members will, quote, unquote, drop the rope. And then there's a mad dash for everybody to rush to <laughs> what will be their first and inevitably their favorite attraction and um particularly if it's um 
a morning at Disneyland and it opens at 8 a.m., if you can be there for rope drop, you will have the Magic Kingdom. You will have the happiest place on earth literally to yourself for the first 90 minutes to two hours. Awesome. Uh, those are the most valuable hours inside a Disney park ever. And you can go anywhere you want to go and, and, and do almost anything that you want to do with, again, zero waiting. And we use that time to also start getting our fast passes for some of the bigger attractions so that when the crowds get there, when the lines start to form, we've got fast passes already lined up to get ahead of everyone um, once those attractions start filling up. Those are good tips. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so very much for being on the program for a second time. I will put links to your first episode in the show notes and also um, all of your contact information. Before we close out, is there anything that you would like to add in that we might have forgotten that you would like to mention? I just want to encourage everyone to have a happy and safe 4th of July. Happy birthday, America, Mm -hmm. and stop dreaming. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for being our guest. Thank you, Megan. This is Megan Chaba of the Travel Radio Podcast saying happy 4th of July to my country and good night.